Thanks for joining the Capital Church podcast channel. For more resources and to learn more about Capital Church, please visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at So proud of you guys. You may be seated. Uh, man, how many of you appreciate the presence of Jesus? I don't know. Like in the day and age that we're living, I am realizing more and more we need less words and more presence. All right, you guys know the drill. Uh, turn to your neighbor. Let them know how much you love them. Say hello. All right, turn to your second choice. Say, go Cowboys. <laughs> go Jesus, I heard that. That was, yes, everyone say, go Jesus. And then everyone say, go Cowboys. How many of you were here last week? Okay, many of you were here last week. We talked about the justice of God and, and racism. It was Pentecost Sunday last week. And uh, if you weren't here, um, our basic thesis is that Pentecost is anti-racist. Can I get an amen? So I did my best to talk about God's justice. We talked a little bit about um, racial injustice. And then I talked about a few things that we could do last week. I was pretty fiery. I'm a redhead, so I get fiery. So I went after it. Today, um, I, I'm just going to, if it's okay with you, I'm going to share, this is like stream of consciousness stuff. I actually had a different message prepared yesterday. felt like the Holy Spirit told me to change it. And so I'm going to share as your lead pastor, and I represent my wife and I as your lead pastors, I'm going to share my heart, if that's all right with you. I mean, we all know this week, um, if you were on social media at all, it felt like a war zone, right? And I could feel it. I felt it first service. And to be honest, I know I could, how many of you sense the presence of Jesus this morning? I could sense the presence of Jesus, but I, I also could sense your heart. How many of you, just with a show of hands, and you don't have to be embarrassed, this week you, were either, you either felt heavy, sad, Grieved, hurt, offended, angry, frustrated, or any of that. Raise your hand. I think we all have, right? I've talked to so many pastors, and it's like they're trying to, they're doing their very best as, as they build for the kingdom of Jesus in pastoring their churches and, and serving their city. We are living in... Um, we say this all the time, and I just feel like it's such a cliche, but we, we, we're living in unprecedented times. Uh, if we're not careful, well, I'll say it this way, it seems, everyone say it seems, seems like the fabric of our unity uh, seems to be wearing thin. And so today I want to talk about, I want to talk about unity, right? I do think um, maybe some of us should check out of social media for a week. Can I get a minute? Isn't it funny? Social media is like a reverse confessional. Do you demand everyone to repent of their sins? I'm not saying that we can't speak truth to power, right? I'm not saying that. 
But I, I think it's time for us to maybe check out a social media and just spend a little bit more time with Jesus. That's my pastoral exhortation today. Like I could walk off the stage and we would be good, I think. So I, I'm not going to be all over the, over the place. I'm, I'm going to share comp, my complicated emotions, but they're rooted in God's word. I'm not going to give you sociology, which is important. I'm not going to give you legislation. That's all important. I'm a pastor. So pastors should give you God's word. <laughs> no? Yeah? Okay. Know that I love you. And please, if you're offended by anything that I have to say, text me or, no, not text me. Email me at shane at hotmail.com. Come. Hotmail. Hotmail. So I'm going to begin with this. I'm hopeful. Anyone hopeful? I know we're heavy. We're heavy. Come on, we're heavy, but I'm also hopeful. Come on, how many hopers do we have here today? Heavy, but we're also hopeful. I think re racial reconciliation is possible. That's my first emotion is hope. I believe the justice of God, which is, is inextricably connected or tied to the good news of Jesus, can be realized. We are in a, without question, right? We're in a spiritual and social crisis that only Jesus can heal. Do you believe that? Now, please, uh, please hear what I'm about to say. I believe legislation is so important. I believe reform is so important, 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 right? Important. But um, when it comes down to it, it's only Jesus and the pouring out of his spirit that can change our hearts. And I'm not talking to any of you. I'm talking to myself. Let me just say this really quick. The if you're not familiar with our history, the legacy or the history of our church, which is pretty startling in Idaho, is that, and this is pretty crazy, we are, we, we are racially or a racially diverse congregation. We live in, yeah, thank God. It's funny, we live in Idaho, and we're pretty white. We got our guns, right? And we like to go and hunt, right? I don't know why I'm talking like that. <laughs> right, I've been on camping trips. They've been horrible, except for friends. Scott Maurice saved my life, right? Um, yeah, we live in a white state, but what's so funny is that our church has always been racially diverse. Why? I just want to walk you through our history. Uh, because we believe in racial reconciliation, number one. And we believe the day of Pentecost is all about every nation, every tongue, every tribe coming together. So I'm going to say this, and I said this very strongly, right, last week. Anyone who is a racist and claims to follow Jesus, we will condemn that. But on Pentecost, we talked about where the spirit is poured out, there is always racial reconciliation. And I remember it was 1994, my parents felt like the Holy Spirit was asking them to move out here in Meridian. We were downtown at the time off 13th and Bannock. And so we moved out here in 1994. We built this building. This was actually 
this auditorium was originally designed as a gym, right? So I think we had just finished the building and we were trying to figure out what to do with our old building downtown. And my parents were really praying about, okay, what, what should we do, Holy Spirit? And then the Holy Spirit dropped into my father's heart, okay, we need to give the church away. So at first, people were like, close people that you were talking this through were like, oh, no, 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 that's not from the Holy Spirit, right? And my, my mom and dad, they couldn't shake it. They just felt like the Holy Spirit was leading them to give the church away. And then, they, and then the Holy Spirit, and I don't know all the details, spoke to my parents to give the church away to St. Paul Baptist Church, a black church. Now, we were as, as a church, we were as white as they come. And we were charismatic. And St. Paul Baptist was a beautiful Baptist church. Charismatic, Baptist, Idaho. Black, white, right? This was, in 1994, to say the least, provocative. And this is what I love about my mom and dad. Our founding pastors made the decision to give the church away. They were obedient to the Holy Spirit. And it was a beautiful thing. Behold, I remember the service that we, we all came together. A whole, we were Capital Christian Fellowship at the time, and it was St. Paul Baptist Church, and we came together. It was an April, Sunday, Sunday night, April. We were downtown. We were all worshiping together, Capital uh, Christian Fellowship and St. Paul Baptist. And I remember my dad, six foot five, he's six four now, but that's, n- never mind that. <laughs> I love you. The stately figure gets up, and just masterfully announces to St. Paul Baptist Church that, hey, we want to give this church to, uh, away to you. And all I remember was Ma Brown. I'd never seen anything like it. And I've never seen anything like it since. She's running around as w- she heard the news that we were giving the church away. And she just, uh, for, with her hanky, right, it was her hanky, for about five minutes. And I'm like, man, I want to be a part of this church. Dad, you can go over there. I, this is where I want to be, right? It's funny, um, a year later, Pastor Bobby Ashley, the lead pastor at St. Paul Baptist Church, um, went to Promise Keepers with my father, and they shared a room. We have a white pastor and a black pastor sharing the same room, and they were talking, and Pastor Bobby came up to, my, or was talking to my father after a night session and said, you know what the strangest thing is? After you gave the church away to us, our church got more white And then my dad goes, are you kidding me? Because once we gave the church away to you, our church got more black. That's our legacy. It's not just our legacy, but that is the legacy of the Christian story. When, please hear me, when the spirit of God is poured out, there will be reconciliation. In fact, um, I remember about a year, maybe two, after we gave the church away, I was sitting right over here. Is it okay if I just talk like this? I was sitting right over there, and I think my dad was right next to me. I was 17 years old. Do you guys remember 1994? Like MJ, was he he playing baseball? I think he was playing baseball, right? My all-time favorite athlete. Anyways, I'm just like reminiscing right now. Um, I was sitting there. We were worshiping, and we needed more soul. 
in our church. And I remember about two or three uh, seats behind us, I heard this mellifluous voice. And I remember I couldn't turn around because I'm like, oh my God, this is, this is, an, is this a voice from God? Is it, you know? And so I got so distracted in this um, worship service. And at the end, I turned around and uh, I saw who I didn't know at the time, Mark Thornton. Lifting up his hands and then just singing us all into like a move of God. And I remember I went back to my dad. I go, I go Dad, okay. You, you, and I just had, uh, saw Mark and I'm like, okay, you see Mark? Okay, you do whatever you have to do to keep him in our church, right? And thankfully he stayed and now Mark Thornton um, over the last, Mark, you're in the back. How long have you been on staff? 23 years. So Mark, what it, you know, he, he led our worship team. Mark is now our community pastor. He's now a leading voice in our community. Not only that, he's the Boise State chaplain, and he's just influencing so many people. Thank God for Mark Thornton. I'm saying that because this shows us that you don't have to be an activist, and I have nothing against activists or activism. I think it's great. But you don't have to be an activist to be a part of a racial reconciliation movement. So today I'm hopeful because I believe we're going to see reconciliation. I believe the next move of God will grow out of the soil of racial reconciliation. And even though it's messy right now, do you think it's messy right now? It is messy like a lot right now. As I mentioned before, it's like a war zone on social media. I just want to remind all of us that the ends, even though it's messy, the ends of God's justice is not annihilation or blood or unmitigated destruction or vandalism. It is the reconciliation of every nation, of every tongue, and every tribe. We are people called to be reconcilers. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17 through 19 says this, Therefore, if anyone is Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Verse 18, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This is the heart of the gospel, right? In microcosm, we get a picture of what it means to follow Jesus. We are reconcilers. You cannot be a racist or a bigot if you want to follow Jesus. You have to repent of your sin. Can I get an amen? If you want to follow Jesus. And Paul continues, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Verse, no, we don't have verse 20. But the heart of the passage here is that we are called to reconciliation. Uh, Galatians chapter 3, 26 through 29 says this, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Paul is not a sexist here. He's not saying, oh, if you're a daughter, then you can't share in the inheritance, right? Why does Paul say sons? What he's saying in the ancient world is that sons received inheritance. And he's saying that if you are in Christ, it doesn't matter if you're male or female, slave or free. Come on, somebody. You now are all sons. This is the great leveling through Jesus. 
I'm going to say this. I might offend somebody, and my intention is not to offend anybody, but the world can't get you what only Jesus can get you. Verse 27, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek now. We recognize them. We're not saying, oh, we're blind to all of that. That's not what Paul is saying. No, we recognize our differences, but he's talking about everything's level when it comes to the inheritance and the blessing of Jesus. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, man, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. MLK, one of my all-time favorite quotes, basically just ripped all of this off. The brilliant Martin Luther King said this, we will match your capacity to inflict suffering with our capacity to endure suffering. We will meet your physical force with soul force. We will not hate you, but we cannot in good conscience obey your unjust laws. Do to us what you will and we will still love you. Bomb our homes and threaten our children. Send your hooded perpetrators of violence into our communities and drag us out on some wayside road, beating us and leaving us half dead. And we will still love you. But we will soon wear you down by our capacity to suffer. And in winning our freedom, we will so appeal to your heart and conscience that we will win you in the process and make you our friends. I believe this next great awakening, please hear me, will be led by people of color. Pentecostalism was born out of a social nightmare for 20th century America. It brought together white and black communities, William Seymour and what's his, the white guy, can't remember the white guy's name, but brought them together and out of this new move of God, races came together speaking and praising the good news of Jesus. And I believe that's going to happen. I believe it's happening right now. But let me say this. I'm hopeful, but I'm also mourning this morning. Mike Pence, our vice president, he was interviewed yesterday, and he said this, inequities are being laid bare by the death of George Floyd. We talked about this last week, the outrage over the senselessness of George Floyd's death. I remember my first uh, verse that I memorized, I don't know why I memorized this verse, was Jesus wept. It was the easiest, right? You're like, what's up, ding dong, Chris? It was the easiest, right? Jesus wept for his friend, Lazarus. Here we have, at the very heart of it, the heart of God on display. In other words, and I talked a little bit about this last week, God is not the Aristotelian unmoved mover, right? Who's indifferent, just thinks about thinking, right? Somewhere out in the interstellar space and he really is unconcerned about what's happening in our world. No, what we see is that the heart of God is broken over the brokenness in our world. Jesus wept and Jesus wept over George Floyd and his death. You see, the heart of God, I believe, is broken over the collective trauma that so many black Americans have experienced. Can I get an amen? 
I believe we are in a historical moment wherein Jesus is lifting the people of color out of the fatigue of despair. So how should we respond as followers of Jesus to those who have experienced racial injustice, especially for us who have not experienced it? How do we do that? Well, Romans 12 verse 15 says, and I, I hope I'm not offending anybody, but this is the word of God. It says, weep first, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. How should we respond? We should respond by participating in the heart of God. Participating in his feelings in the brokenness of God for those who have experienced racial injustice. I was praying last week for our nation and the church, and I don't mean this to be pandering today or performative. I rarely do this. I rarely tell you what I feel like the Holy Spirit is doing personally in my life, but I feel like I need to do it in this historical moment. I was praying. I was in my car and I was driving around the city And um, I was just asking God for his heart. I was listening to um, Maverick City. How many of you love Maverick City? Love Maverick City. And God gave me a vision. How many believe that God gives visions today? I don't know. I can't describe what that was. It was something that I knew it was the Holy Spirit. And in this vision, I saw a group of young, it was Saturday, I think is when the protest started. I saw a group of young black men protesting and there was anger in their heart. And the Holy Spirit showed me in that moment their pain and their agony. And it broke me. And um, I don't think I'll ever be the same again. I felt their pain and agony and I felt the brokenness of Jesus over them. And it was a trans transformative moment for me. Let me say this really quick. If we become anesthetized to the heart of Jesus and the brokenness of this world, where we remain unmoved and our hearts remain indifferent, there goes the church. Can I get, can I get a better amen to that? Matthew chapter 5 verse 4 says, Blessed are those who mourn. Why? for they shall be comforted. Thank God comforts on the other side of mourning. And here today we are praying for those who mourn, those who are angry and frustrated over injustice. Can I get any man to that? But I'm also frustrated over the lies in media I'm frustrated over the us versus them rhetoric. You're either, in other words, you're either for the police and you're not for people of color and their struggle against racial injustice or you're for the people of color and racial injustice and not for the police. Romans chapter 12, 9 through 10 says, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. 
outdo one another in showing honor. Can I tell you something? We are not against the police. We are against racist police officers. And can I tell you something, and I'm not trying to offend anyone here, there are so many good police officers. Amen. In fact, Steve Martinez, one of my closest friends, was my first friend that I met when I was seven. We went to school together for a little bit. He's now a police officer in our church. And and we have no idea what he goes through every single day. This, he is one of the, he loves my kids. He takes care of us in this city. We have no idea what happens in this city. He's such a good man. Joe Martinez, his brother. Love Joe. Love them. Matt Bowie. I mean, I could just go on just. Who protect us. Who take care of us. We want to honor them. We are against any organization and any media outlet or conglomerate that would try to divide us. Can I get an amen? That would try to bifurcate reality. That would try to say that you either have to be for them or for us. I refuse to give in to that. We will condemn injustice. We will condemn all that which those who have experienced in horrible ways, right, racial upside-down stuff, we will condemn all of that. We will come alongside of people of color who have experienced trauma, and we will love them, right? Come on, somebody. And we will be with them, and we will not pretend that we know everything, but we will also at the same time support those who protect us. Can I get an amen? Uh, Miles McPherson a lead, uh, leading black pastor on CNN last night. I loved it. Calls, he was actually in an interview with Anderson Cooper. And Anderson Cooper was just perplexed about what was happening and he just wanted some answers. And um, Miles McPherson basically said um, that we need a third option, right? I love his heart. Uh, his father was a police officer His son is a police officer. He is a black man. And this is what he said. We need to honor what we all share in common. And he talks about how we can do that. And there were great thoughts about that. But here we have in our day, I'll call it the great division. People are dividing over their facts. I'm not saying you can't have facts. And they're dividing over their political narratives. I'm not saying you can't have your political narratives. But the important thing is to not push up non-essential things into the essential category. And I'm going to talk more about that later. Let me say this really quick. We are stronger together. The old country adage is this. Never eat, with a, never eat a steak with two spoons. I'm kidding. That's not an old country adage. I just made that up. 
You can't eat a steak with a spoon. You need a fork, right? You need a big knife, maybe a spoon with mashed potatoes. Come on, somebody. Right, the point that I'm trying to make is there, we have differences. And these differences teach us how to live and how to love each other. And they make us more than the sum total of our individual selves. Amen. You might be saying, well, that's nice. It might be easy for you to say that about honoring because, Chris, you're white. And you haven't experienced racial injustice. And you don't know what it's like to trust the police or white people. And you're right. And that's why as your lead pastor, both my wife and I, we are choosing to listen. And that's why I'm concerned today. I'm concerned that our culture has forgotten the art of listening. James 1, 19 through 20 says this, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. We must listen. If you have not experienced racial injustice, you must. I'm not trying to force anybody. I'm just, it's the Bible, right? We must listen. It's funny, in social media this week, and I've, I've been seeing it for a while, but in social media, people are unfollowing everybody. Let me say this, mutatis mutandis, right? With all the respect, the differences like considered, you should unfollow those who are abusive. But that's not what we're doing, people. We're simply unfollowing people because they have a different political opinion. That says something less about them and something more about you. And I offended everybody in this room, just so I, I love you. So, what should we do? Well, let's, let's practice listening to the other side. Does that mean you have to agree with everything? No. It's not what I'm saying. But we're shutting everybody out, right? This is what I practice. There are a lot of people that I think are throwing out, I feel like it's a verbal vomit. And I disagree with so much of it. But I've chosen as your lead pastor to be a listener, because that's how I get better. So some of you are like saying, well, why should I do that? Why should I not unfollow people? Why should I listen to what's going on? Well, number one, I don't want to be a narcissist. Right? The, assu the assumption when you don't listen is that you don't have a blind spot. My comeback to that is, I, I hope you hear my heart, is you're not God. You don't have an absolute claim on absolute truth. I know we have facts, and those are fine. We can listen to those facts, too. They can help. But the biggest reason that we listen is found in Exodus chapter 3, 7 through 8. Are you guys still with me? It says, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. I heard their cry. And I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and anticlimatically, and the Jebusites. 
Why do we listen? Because God listens to us. I am so glad that God did not unfollow me or unfriend me when I was stupid three Mondays ago and I was Christian cussing in my head. I am so glad that God listens to me even in my sin, even in my anger, even in my pain, even in my rage, even, come on, if Jesus loves us enough to listen to us, shouldn't we do the same? Shouldn't we come alongside and listen to those who have experienced racial injustice? Isn't this what the Holy Spirit does with us? You see, the Holy Spirit is our advocate. Can I get an amen? Number seven, I don't know why I just said points. This is all my thing. Number 18,000. Sorry, we got 5,000 more points to go, right? Um, I am concerned also that we have disparaged in our Western moment both speaking the truth and anger. Ephesians 4, 26 says, be angry, Paul says, and do not sin. Paul is creating, I don't want to get philosophical here, I'm going to ontological space for us to be righteously angry. How many of you believe that you can be righteously angry? I think, I think we should be angry over the presence of evil. I've said this the last couple of weeks, but if you come after my family and you mess with my family, I will mess, I work out. I, I, I have my dad's eyes when he gets angry. No, you don't want to mess with that, right? I have the same thing. I will mess with you. Why? Because I love my children. In fact, righteous anger flows out of love. Righteous anger means you care. Righteous anger means you're alive. In fact, it can actually mean you're close to Jesus. Jesus, yes, in fact, did overturn the tables. He went to his father's house. This is his place. Everyone say, my house. Right? My, come on, everyone say, my house. He came to his house. And what did he do? As a, as a prophet, he was more than a prophet, he symbolically shut it down by turning the tables over. Now, I got a lot of questions for people this week. Well, wasn't Jesus um, promoting violence? No, that wasn't violence. Jesus was not saying, okay, we can vandalize property. He wasn't saying that we can riot and we can um, loot and we can promote anarchy. We will condemn that every single time. We believe there is righteous anger. And you can have that. And we will side with those who have righteous anger. We will not side with those who are violent and vandalize property. Please, can I get an amen? amen? But here's the thing. We live in an outrage culture and everyone in their dog believes that Jesus is sanctioning being outraged every single day. Jesus went to the temple one time. And did that. Unfortunately, everybody thinks that, that man, every day they got to be angry about something else. And they're working from an assumption that anger is their fuel and their energy. Paul is saying, hey, be angry. Get righteously angry. But make sure you don't sin. 
and make sure that the sun does not go down on your wrath. Why? Because anger can spoil your heart. It can twist your beliefs and, and your feelings and your thinking completely out of shape. In fact, Paul will tell you in Ephesians chapter 4 that when anger turns towards the self, you then make room for the Satan himself. So let me say this. The mission of Jesus was not sustained by the dynamism of righteous anger, even though righteous anger is good. Rather, it was compassion and love that energized the mission of Jesus. I'm encouraged, though, today, even though I am grieved at times and frustrated at times, I am encouraged because Jesus tells us to not be afraid. The number one commandment, we talk about this all the time, is do not be afraid. And I know, I know, I get it, I get it. I don't have my head in the sand, right? It feels like our political and cultural moment is in the process of destabilization, right? We're no longer polarized. We're in this spiral destabilization of our culture. And I just want to declare some scripture over you. Can I do that here today? God in this historical moment has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Let me tell you this again, perfect love. Everyone say perfect love. Perfect love casts out all fear. Greater is he, I'm just, I'm declaring this over our church. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So be strong today in God's grace. Be strong in what God has promised you. You are not a little story person. You are a big story person. You are a big faith person. And we know that God works out all things for our good according to his power that works inside of us. So don't, don't give any room in your heart to fear. Why? Well, because Jesus ascended into heaven and he is now sovereign over creation. And the Bible tells us that it's not a president in charge. China is not in charge. A politician is not in charge. The liberals are not in charge. The Democrats are not in charge. The conservatives and Republicans are not in charge. Your boss is not in charge. Cancer is not in charge. The sin of injustice is not in charge. Jesus is the King of Kings and he is the Lord of Lords. And he is sovereign. He is sovereign. So let not your hearts be troubled. As we move from being me and all of us being encouraged, I'm also, as your pastor, I'm disappointed. I'm, I'm disappointed that we're pushing up, and I'm disappointed in myself because I do this as well pushing up our political narrative into the essential categories I mentioned before, and we divide over that. In other words, we're taking our point of view, be that liberal or conservative, and placing it on the same level as Jesus died, was buried, bodily came back from the dead, ascended into heaven, poured out his spirit, and formed the church. I love our facts. I am not saying you can't have a strong political position. Please continue to have your strong political position. But what Tucker Carlson or what Rachel Maddow says 
is not on the same level. They are overrated when it comes to Jesus and what he says. Now, you can listen to them. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with, with them. Maybe some of them. Uh, let's move on. That's weird, okay? What I'm trying to say is Jesus is alive and he's at work in this present moment and he's sovereign over it all. But I'm disappointed that for some Christians, Jesus is too conservative and for others, Jesus is too liberal. And all this thinking stems from our secular moment, which is this, politics, not religion, is now the new religion. Our politicians are the second coming of Jesus. Our political parties are the new church. And we are the sheep in their political pasture. And we are dividing over it. Please hear me. As I said before, I love politics. I was a poli-sci major. I'm not saying you can't have strong political positions. I'm not saying you can't listen to your favorite political commentator. All I'm saying is let's please remember the words of Jesus. Matthew 6, says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. See, I used, to, I used to be Aristotelian in that I, I thought the truth is found in the tension of two opposites. So I would take uh, the tertium quid, which is the middle ground. Uh, the Holy Spirit rebuked me two days ago. He says, no, I don't want you to take the tertium quid. This is how Holy Spirit and I talk, right? I don't want you to take the middle ground. I want you to take the higher ground. I'm not trying to take some of our liberals and some of our conservatives and like say, let's sing kumbaya and try to get along. No, 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 no. What I'm trying to say is how about we take the higher ground? The higher ground is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God indeed has political and social implications, but the kingdom of God is rooted in the values of Jesus. And I'm concerned. I'm concerned because we're pushing up our political narrative into the essential category that we're losing our tenderheartedness. Some of you, there are some people that have walked out already, and I've noticed. I've noticed. But some of us, our hearts are hard. And I'm concerned we are losing our heart. Tenderheartedness is the key to unity, not conformity. Having the same political opinion is not the prerequisite for unity. Please hear me. We are never going to agree about everything. Ever. I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan. Most of you are not going to agree with me on that. I, I don't, for the life of me, understand why you like apple pie. There is so much that we disagree with. If we think that unity requires that we have to be on the same page with everything, we will never have unity. I say this, I'm going to be honest, 80% of what I said I think is right, but there's probably 20% of what I said is wrong. Or 10%. Some of you are like, oh my God, do you actually say that? Not that because not that I believe that I'm that I'm what I'm saying isn't right. I'm just saying I'm limited, right? So what's the key? The key is not having the same agreement on everything. The key is having a tender heart. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 says this. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humil humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. 
eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Verse 29 through 30 said this, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Be kind or let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. What is the key to unity? Yeah, we need to speak the truth in love, right? Can I get an amen? Hold your political opinion. That's awesome. I'm not saying you got to change that. What I'm saying is that we have to be tender-hearted. Tender hearts, gentleness, and humility are the defining features of the kingdom, one. And two, without these, unity is wishful thinking. So what do we do in response as I close? Number one, I am more convinced than ever that we have to pray. I think we need the presence of Jesus more than ever. I'm going to say it again over and over. We need the presence of Jesus more than ever. We need the presence of Jesus more than ever. Romans 12, 12 says this, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. I think our discontent, I got this from uh, a good friend of mine yesterday, our discontent and anxiety is born of a life that is suffering from the agony of prayerlessness. We're called to be constant in prayer. How do we do that? Well, number one, I think we should pray for our enemies. Matthew chapter five, am I giving you enough scripture this morning? I just, I don't want you to give my opinion. 5, 43 through 48 says this, you have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Verse 44, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven for he makes his son rise in the evil and on the good and the sins rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. How do we be perfect or how do we be, we be mature? Jesus is saying that we pray for our enemies. We pray for them. Now we must do, in the words of one author, we must do more than pray. Please hear me. But we must never do less than pray. This week I did this, I practiced, I shared, I had a really good talk with an incredible person in our church and we talked about, okay, what should we do with people that we're really frustrated with? And I told him, this is what I did. This week I took five people that I was really frustrated with. And some of you probably did this to me this week. Anyways, and I prayed God's blessing over them. I said, God, I'm frustrated with such and such and so and so. I don't get what's going on but Father, they are your son and they are your daughter. And I'm talking to you, God, and I'm really frustrated, but I ask you would bless them, bless them. And I keep on praying that over them. Lord, just begin to work in their heart, lead them, give them wisdom and courage. And you know what happens every time I pray for my enemies? Something happens in me, I change. It's funny, many of us, love it when God's patient with our sins, but we hate it when God's patient with the sins of our enemies. So number two, really quick, and I'm almost, is this okay that I'm talking like this? 
I just got a few more minutes. I think we also need to learn how to pray imprecatory prayers. Psalms is a theological textbook for the New Testament. It was a most, one of the most quoted books in the New Testament and you have prayers of lament. Like how long, oh Lord, have you ever prayed that before in your heart? How long, oh Lord? How long am I gonna be sick? How long am I going to experience injustice? How long am I going to experience such and such and these circumstances and these, these troubling times? Like how long, oh Lord? What if, and I think laments and imprecatory prayers show us what we can do. What if we, and this is what we can do, what if we took our prayer and made it our first protest? We should protest over unjust things in the right way, right? But what if before we protest injustice, what if we took our prayer and made that our first protest? What if we learned to talk about our grievances with Jesus? What if Jesus wants to come alongside of you and work through your grievances and your anger and your frustration and your heavy heart and your sadness, right? I think Jesus wants us to protest alongside of him because Jesus protests the evil powers and the wicked powers that stoke the flames of injustice. This is what I prayed this week. I go, God, as I prayed for my enemies and then I prayed this one simple prayer. I pray for such and such, such, pray for those wicked powers, I ask first that you would lead them into repentance. You would be merciful to them. You would soften their heart. But if they do not listen, I ask that you would bring their ju- your justice on them. I think we can pray those prayers. Please don't pray that against me. I love you guys. I'm not that wicked. I think we can do that. We can declare God's judgment over exploitation, deception, lies, racism. Come on. And even the lies that, oh, you gotta be anti-cop now. I just, we're not gonna do it. Not giving in to any lies. Finally, how can we pray? Well, I think we need to learn to pray together more. The old adage, those who pray together. Come on, those who pray together. The Bible tells us when two or three are are together, there Jesus is in the midst. It's hard to be hard with those you pray with. The fabric of our unity in Christ will wear thin if we don't pray together. Prayer opens our heart to the Holy Spirit and unites our heart to people. It softens the rough edges of the heart. This is why we believe in praying together. When you see someone's face, maybe someone that you have a disagreement with and you pray with them, They're changed, come on. They're changed, we're changed. I love what my wife is doing over the last few weeks. She started a little prayer group downtown um, at the Capitol at three o'clock. You're more than welcome to come. And we just felt like we gotta go downtown and we gotta pray and we gotta do something big, right? And we're gonna believe that prayer is gonna lead into action. Can I get an amen? And we're gonna serve our city and we're gonna be people of racial reconciliation and people of justice. I love what Shane did earlier, uh, a couple nights ago. He called a bunch of, he's an exec, you know Shane Grove, amazing, he has the best hair. He's the handsomest of all. Credible man of God. He called a bunch of us guys and said, hey, let's just come to the church at 11.30 at night and let's just pray together. And a bunch of guys came and they prayed together. I love that. I love what um, Kim Bowie and Ryan Fisher are doing. They, I think their prayer group is called Embers, right? 
I love that. Um, they're gathering people together and they're praying for the city. Steve and Patty Rooks have taken on a huge role of leading pre-service prayer. I love what they're doing. We are called to pray and that prayer will lead to action. Amen. As I close, finally, I'm thankful because I'm starting to see how this current moment is leading all of us back to Jesus. Bonhoeffer said in very troubling times, may God lead us in his mercy through, lead us through these times, but above all, may he lead us back to himself. This is a weird thought as I close. Could it be that God is using these times to give us the gift of disillusionment? There's a bad kind of disillusionment which leads to despair and action, but there's also a good kind of disillusionment that sets us free from putting our hope in the wrong things. And I'm seeing Psalm 23 as I close with fresh eyes. Jesus is our shepherd, not money or a politician or a lifestyle. Jesus is the one who leads us by the non-anxious waters, not a breathing technique or even a self-help course, however good they might be. Jesus is the one who restores our soul and puts all the broken pieces of our lives together, not legislation or sociology, however important those things are. It is Jesus who leads us on the paths of righteousness and justice. I want us to make a commitment to be Jesus' people. Jesus for the people. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray for us that we would in Revelation 2, 4, return to our first love. I pray that we would love people. I pray that we would be people of reconciliation. Uh, we pray for our black brothers and sisters who have experienced the trauma of racial injustice. We ask today that they would receive your comfort and healing. Father, we thank you for your justice. Father, I thank you that you would unite our hearts. Everyone say unite. You would unite our hearts. I just ask, could you take your hand and put it in your heart? This is for all of us. I know I need this, guys. That you would soften our hearts. Help us to be tender-hearted people. Help us to love and to serve and to give our lives. Yes. Show us when to speak the truth in love, yeah. Yes, show us how we can be righteously angry, yes. But ultimately teach our hearts humility, teach our hearts tenderheartedness. Help us to walk in gentleness, in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray for your grace, we pray for your mercy in the mighty name of Jesus. And Lord, I thank you for an tremendous move of God to take place in the mighty name of Jesus. Just wait for about 20 seconds. Keep your eyes closed, your heads bowed. Just wait on you, Holy Spirit. <laughs>